Hi, I'm Eamon Fennell. Welcome to another episode of The Hot Ball with AIG and Dublin GEA. On this episode, we're going to be talking to former Dublin captain Coleman Goggins on his time in a Dublin jersey. And we're also going to be talking to him as he moves into his new role as a TV pundit with TG Catter. Hope you enjoyed. How are you, first of all, before we kick into things? You keeping well? Um, I'm living the dream here every day. <laughs> uh, busy house. We've uh, three kids here, ranging from five to 11. So between Anne and Barry and fractions, I'm struggling. I was never too hot in the fractions. So Anne and Barry, I can just about manage <laughs> fractions. Is- Fractions is a stretch, but uh, look, we're getting through it. It's tough on everyone, whether you have kids, whether you're single. It's been an unprecedented time for everyone across the country. So hopefully there's a bit of light coming now on the back of, uh, you know, the phase two piece and a bit of GEA maybe on the 29th of July. It was passing the local park there and there was three teams out doing a bit. So I won't give away the age groups of the club, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they were out doing a small bit, you know. So things are starting to lift again. So that's great. It gives you, you miss the L Sunday game team tune. So if we can get that back again, we'll be doing okay. And you now have an excuse to get out of the house, you know, back working with the GAA again. So it's all good. No more Alan Vardy infractions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. told him right, we're back already. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of pushing that one as well. It hasn't seemed to land with her yet. So uh, I'll let you know when I get it off the line. But I'm not too bad. I haven't got fractions yet. The Alan Barry stuff I can do is the fractions. When I start getting the advocates out, I'll be giving you a call then. Uh, <laughs> but you, the structure of this, as, a, as I was kind of saying to you before we, we went live here, it very much just want to talk about your career, but also just about certain elements of your time with Dublin that we haven't really touched on in previous episodes. And I think the big starting point for me is Ballantyre, your club. You were the first person from Ballantyre to play for the Dublin Senior Football Team. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I was. Yeah, it's not. It was never something that I set out to do. Now you know, so it's not something that I uh, go shouting and roaring about. A volunteer, like you know, I came into the Dublin squad the end of late '99. So volunteer was only founded in the '80s. So it was a young enough club. So you know, they had built up through the age groups. You know, in the late '90s, mid to sorry, early to mid '90s, we started drifting through junior leagues. I did a leave in certain '95 and kind of drifted out into what was the junior team at that time. Now that was full of guys who, you know, were bearded and they were men. You know, so the, <laughs> this fledgling coming, I had I had a bit of you know wet newspaper to try and make it look like a club. So I, I was struggling to fit in there, but uh, there were some great characters coming up with that team. So from '95, this kind of new younger batch started to drift into the the junior team and we won a junior. Uh, championship got promoted to be then won the intermediate championship as we were coming up along so there was this young group and as part of that then you were getting this chance to shine with a young team had been brought to there by these much older guys in the club we'll say who were the, you know the founding members of it as i guess you know so it's just you know won't say right time right place but certainly you were with a group of young players you were getting an opportunity to play and we were new and fresh and you were getting people were taking note of it i guess you know so probably the opportunity the way the club was going at the time just meant that you know people were getting spotted so there was Plenty of guys were capable of playing. You know, a couple of us got lucky to get there in the end. Well, you kind of mentioned there that uh, the older crop of people, it was relatively a new club, but there was a good country element there. Like, uh, I remember going up to the clubhouse one day and some fella, uh, gentleman, absolute gentleman, I think his name might have been Mick, pulled me aside and said, You're the re- I'm the reason you're playing for Dublin. I was like, oh, enlighten me, tell me why. He said, oh, you played us here in the league game and uh, you had a good game. 
and I got on to Davy. We're delighted there. I thought you were going to drop a bombshell and he'd say he was your father or something. Like, that, would have been, that would have been an exclusive. Wow, well, I wouldn't look good in the volunteer colours. Uh, <laughs> he said he, he rang Davy Billings after the game and said, look, you need to check this fellow out. And Davy said, actually, we've been watching him for a while. We must bring him out. So, uh, was it a club league game in volunteer? Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember the game. Yeah, I didn't think you were great, but look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think your man was in the pub house drinking at the time, so that's the way. Uh, he, he wasn't the fellow with the guide dog. <laughs> but there was, a, there was a good country element there. Of, of, of all yeah. And you have, obviously, your, your relations in Roscommon, isn't it, that your link's there? Yeah, look, uh, like uh, I suppose a lot of the clubs... Uh, there was a huge country element, people who would come working in Dublin then that wanted to, you know, nail down their roots in a particular area. So volunteer as a, you know, a, a, an area, I guess, was new. People who moved into it were, you know, probably from different parts of the country. Uh, like I think probably the founder members, there's Kerry, there's Roscommon, there's Mayo. You know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, country folk within it, I guess, you know. So some of the guys who were playing ball were hardened country footballers. So it was a good learning in the early stages of your footballing career, that's for sure. Uh, like I probably am a little bit of an exception to the rule in that when, when I was coming through the age group changed it was September was the their month of your birth which meant you were in that group for underage football and then it moved to December 31 or January 1st so the team I was with when we were 13, 14 kind of fell away a bit so I've been playing soccer for a while I went to school in Clashdown the guys from Kilmico Croaks had come into Clashdown and said any fellas interested in playing GAA much and all as it probably broke my dad's heart I went up to Kilmico for a couple of years, I was involved with teams that Pat Duggan had been involved in. Uh, and, but, but I just, I was, I was a late bloomer, I guess I was light. I was probably not as um, physical as a lot of the guys who were knocking around those Croaks first teams, you know. Uh, and, and I had a passion or an interest in going back to volunteer. My dad was looking after teams there. So, you know, I had a bit of success in Croaks. We won a minor B championship, I think it was. Johnny McGee, Mick, Mick O'Keefe, Ray Cosgrove, a couple of those guys were a year below me, so they played on the minor B team in my minor year, we'd say. So I drifted back to volunteer, started getting involved with that junior team, as it was, we'd say, around that time. Uh, well, it was probably, I was 18, I guess, whatever, thereabouts. I started getting involved with that. So I didn't have any minor trials with Dublin or any of that kind of stuff because I was kind of drifting between clubs. And similarly into 21s, when you were trying to you know, make a breakthrough there, you know, Ballantyre was a, a new club. I'm not saying that it had an impact, but you had the stronger, obviously, clubs who had, you know, two, three guys who were showing for positions. So it was always difficult to try and break into that versus the development squad piece now where guys are being assessed based on their football and ability and maybe the club isn't as important at the level of they're playing at. If they're good enough, they get brought in for a look. So I guess, you know, the, the upbringing I had was playing a bit of football with these country guys who are hardening it up a little bit given that it was a bit late in terms of filling out, or I was, I was quite light and not as physical as some of the other guys at that time, I'd say. Uh, well, in regards to physicality, when I, I'm going to jump forward here and we'll come back. Yeah. In, in the physicality side of it, like I remember a half-back line of you, Padder Andrews, Collie Moore and Johnny McGee. That's a big, strong half-back line. We should have won more matches given there was four of us playing in three positions, but, but we, we won't tell anyone. Maybe that was never picked up. Yeah, well, I was going to mention Davy Henry as well, but he didn't fit into that physicality bracket. But, uh, but you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you were That's big nice. and strong. No, you's, like it was a big, strong physical line. I always remember it. And uh, like if you look at the current crop now, the likes of Jack, James, they're just flyers. They're just, like it's a different kind of dynamic. Yeah. That physicality, I thought probably the most physical line on the Dublin team for a long time was that half-back line. 
Yeah, and uh, like I guess the you know if you think back to you know Keith Bars and Johnny McGee's and these fellas, they're, they're, the style of football at that time was you know maybe more of a holding role. And don't get me wrong, those fellas could play football. So uh, I'm not saying that they weren't able to do that by any means, and they could move across the field as you well know. So you look now at you know the, the sixth position. This is about a guy holding that position. It's about being very mobile and being able to move around the field. And I guess when you look at the current Dublin crop. And that interchangeable element that applies where guys can play pretty much anywhere. Here, Kilkenny can start half forward and be wing back and midfield all in the one game. So maybe at that time, guys were more conditioned to particular areas of the field or positions. And that was where, you know, the physical thing at six and three was real stopper stuff. And then the fives and sevens were a little bit more pacey, I guess, you know, in terms of trying to attack up the field. You know, cornerbacks in the late 90s and early 1000s, you weren't supposed to be able to play football, you know. Was, <laughs> when, when you got the ball, fellas were shouting, Mark up, Mark up, God see, has it. You know? so let him just, have it, let him have it. Yeah, that's just the way of it, I guess, you know. So, uh, but yeah, certainly the game has changed, you guys. Skill levels are totally different, but that came with, you know, getting into weights programs and stuff. It, 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 uh, it probably, just the way I filled out, was just a bit late getting to the party. And it was probably Sigerson football in college when I started getting into you know, weights and a different type of training along with the stuff you were doing with the club. I was in Minute, uh, manager there at the time was a guy, John Blessing was his name, you know, who, who kind of got you thinking a little bit different about how you were playing football. And it was from there then you started, you know, getting interest in, you know, Dublin junior teams where I initially gravitated from after a sojourn down in Roscommon for a bit of a season, you know. <laughs> but yeah, you, you kind of bounced around a bit there between college uh, the Dublin minor teams and coming through development squads and uh, did you notice any talent like when you were like you were talking about when you were with Crokes you've obviously seen the likes of Johnny McGee did you see other players from different clubs and go oh, he has a better chance because he's with Crokes I'll, I'll really struggle here with Ballantyre was that ever in the back of your mind? Yeah, look, I touched on that a little bit there probably was at that time that you know the, if you thought of the big clubs as they were you know so you know, Vincent's obviously a successful club, you know, Croaks, uh, your Bally Bowdens, you know, if you, if you, you know, Nafina, Rahini obviously had great uh, guys involved with teams as well at that time. If you scan through them, you know, you, you, there's a lot of familiar names at the time I was coming through with guys who were big, big clubs. Uh, so it, it's not so much that, you know, you know, maybe I wasn't good enough, but that's not, that's, you know, I'm not going standing here and saying I should have been in squads, you know, I would, at that time, up to minor. I wasn't playing enough consistent football to even be considered, so probably never an option. Into 21s, you'd show up for trials, and trials are hitting this because every fella is trying to be out for his own, so you get yeah, one yeah. shot at it. You know, other guys have been through minor squads and might have played 21 previously, so somebody involved knows them or has been involved. So, so there was that bit of a, a challenge against it, I guess. So you weren't getting a chance at 13 to show your way. It was get in on a Saturday morning and try and see if you could force your way into a, a squad. So... Uh, you certainly got a feeling that the bigger clubs maybe had a little bit more sway in getting guys involved. But I didn't have a huge thing for I need to leave the club in order to get an opportunity. My, my thing was I wanted to, my thing was I wanted to play with Ballantyre. That's not meant in a slight yeah, 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 yeah. It's a slow dig at me. I know it is. No, not, a, not, in any, not in any way. It was uh, it was very much a case of look, my dad was involved with Ballantyre. My brothers who were playing as well. So I just wanted to be involved there. And obviously, because I was in school in Clashdown, a lot of pals I had were involved with Crokes, Ballybone, different clubs because of the way Clashdown drags guys in. Whereas Ballantyre was very much, you know, with the guys that, you know, were around the area. So it was, you know, different set of guys that you were playing with, really. So when you, when you came into the Dublin setup, then you would have known a few of them lads from your Clashdown days then that were probably in around the Dublin panel then as well, would you? Yeah, there was a few guys that I was aware of, like, you know, to give you a run of, in 98, 99, 
I played two years with the Dublin Juniors. So to have availed of that year, obviously you can't have played senior club championships. So there was guys involved at that who had come in and out of Dublin setups at the time. Uh, and we got a good run at JJ Martin, who was Thomas Davis, was looking after the team. So, you know, we had some couple of good games, a good run. We played Kildare and Mead in a game in Crow Park as well. And it was on the back of, you know, those type of performances then that, you know, you, you got to watch other guys playing on Dublin senior games afterwards or whatever, or in the club circuit where we were intermediate. You maybe weren't playing against the senior teams at the initial time you broke through, you know. So while you knew some of the faces, you were still quite green to a lot of the guys who were knocking around the place. And then you think of some of the guys who were in the dressing room in late 1990, 2000 when I came in, like All-Ireland winners, you know, Jim, Gavin, Paul, Hearn, uh, Desi Farrell, you know, like big hitters, you know, who you would have stood on the hill and, you know, got that. And now you were trying to sit in beside them and pretend you were trying to be as good as them. So uh, it, it was daunting to walk in because there were such, you know, big household names and, and serious operators both on and off the field. Yeah, and I think that's something that, I kind of struggled with when I first came on to the to the panel. I remember sitting next to to Jay O'Wheelow, Collie Moore, and Shane Roy and Paddy Christie. All were all just on the bench with me and gone. <laughs> what am I doing here? Like you know, it can be overwhelming. It can't be daunting, especially when you're from like for me at the time with O'Toole's coming through. It was the only one on the team from O'Toole's. But then you know you start to get to know players and then Johnny McNally comes into the setup everything becomes a bit more familiar then as well and you might have seen some of the junior lads coming through did it start getting a bit easier for you because now coming on the first two years didn't really probably go the way you would have liked but towards 2001 2002 you started playing really good football then yeah um when I came in, in 19, at the end of 99, I think there was league matches probably in the winter time, you know, which, which should have suited me, but funny enough, didn't. Uh, so the, the first kind of season with Tommy Carr, I didn't play any league games. And we played a game against Cavan in the Phoenix Park, I think it was, and I um, damaged an Achilles. So here was this fella from Ballantyre who'd been brought into this senior team. And we were, used to be training the, the barracks in Rat Mines, which was a grim place at the best of times. <laughs> it, it just always seemed to be cold in there, you know. Uh, and I was sat in it, there was a, like a weights room at the top of the hall. And I was spending, you know, most of the time in there, you know, and you suddenly start to go, <laughs> this lad's walking by this door going, what's the story with this fella? He comes out to the panel. He's in there lifting a few 5K dumbbells and thinks he's, you know, Mr. Muscle. So you're then starting to, you know, wonder if you're going to get a chance at this at all. But in fairness to Tommy Carr, he said, look, get yourself right and then we'll do a proper assessment of where you're at in terms of the ability. Obviously, there was something spotted that they thought would bring this guy into the setup. So it was, you know, building into championship in uh, late May, I'd say early June. And we were in Parnell Park training and Tommy gave me the old curly finger, which was, you know, the week into championship. So I was expecting, look, you're going great and all that, but we've only got 24 faces to fill here, uh, spaces to fill here at 26. Unfortunately, you know, you're not going to make the cut. So that was where I was kind of expecting it to land. So it was before Wexford 2000 was a championship debut and he called me across and he said, um, look, we're starting you in, in the corner on the weekend or whatever, you know. So it was a bit of a, oh, you know, now it's, it's becoming a bit of a reality. So the thing you've dreamt about for a long time is now suddenly happening. But he said, look, you know, don't go around saying it and it'll be announced and then just try and keep your head down and we'll see what happens in terms of the game. So, you know, when I came in first in the Dublin setup, I was kind of thriving on the fact that something had been spotted. There was a bit of ability there that had been recognised. So you were able to go out and play and trade on that a little bit. The more I went into the career, I probably started then questioning stuff rather than actually just playing more in, in, without the inhibitions that come as you start thinking more about stuff, you know? What do you think that ability was? What, what do you think it was that they saw in you? 
Jeez, good question. We, we, we probably need to do another podcast. Uh, I, look, I was, I was quite pacey, you know. I would have kind of backed myself on a, in, a, in, in a race or a, in a situation around speed. Uh, I was quite tidy as a defender. Like, I'm not, I'm, certainly wasn't the biggest guy, but I was, I was tidy in terms of, well, I would have thought in terms of the defensive work. So I would have spent a lot of time on, you know, tackling and blocking and, you know, just being a, a general you know, sticky enough kind of cornerback. So I would imagine that when they were watching, we'll say, Sigerson games and maybe Dublin Junior games, that some of those attacking traits came out and that defensive ability came out. And there was something different that maybe offered a different route for them in terms of maybe somebody to, to put in cornerback is where I actually started out in, in 2000, we'll say, where I, there was a bit of pace, there was a bit of flair. There wasn't a fear in terms of going on and attacking with the ball. And, while, you know, I'm never going to claim I was the greatest footballer ever. Maybe there was some football ability there that just was something a little bit different at the time. So, you know, I'm, I'm never going to make out that I was the greatest fella ever, but certainly there was something that was spotted that then the groups of managers that I've had over the years were able to hone a little bit and gave me the time I had in the jersey. Yeah, well, I must start rerouting the water from Ballantyre down to my house because between yourself, Nicky and Gillick, like, there's just pace to burn in Ballantyre, so I could do with some of that myself. Uh, I won, uh, I won an All-Ireland Relay medal with David's brother, John, who was a flyer himself, who would have played with Volunteers senior team. So under 12s or 14s, we won a, an All-Ireland Relay medal. Now, Is that John uh, with AIG? Yeah, John could shift now. He was a, he was a pacey guy. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He was the finishing leg. I was the workhorse <laughs> on the corner. So I, I was, if you ever see me running, I always had this bit of a tilt. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that about you, all right? Yeah. <laughs> But you, you you get your debut and that excitement's there. <clears throat> and and it's hard, like when you're being told, don't say it to anyone. Did you say it to your family? Were you, did you make them aware? Did you let them? Uh, that's one thing, I, like I remember when Peter said it to me, because I'm like a prong cracker and I get injured, like just walking down the road. I was so nervous about getting injured. I was so nervous about saying anything to jinx myself I was praying every night I got really nervous it actually nearly kind of got the better of me because I got so wound up about the whole thing and eventually I, I had to tell my mum and dad like you know did you crack and tell people or um, I, I probably didn't you know I would have been quite good at though like we played um, Nave Fionbarra in a intermediate oh, final in 98 or but it was 97 98 and uh, I had hurt myself in the couple of weeks previous. So even at that time, Kieran Brennan was the manager. He said, tell you what we do. We say, you know, you're not playing hey, another. So I was used to this thing of being told you're not playing to be sprung. So uh, I don't know if I probably, I probably didn't say anything. It wouldn't have been, I would have just said, I don't know, Anton, there hasn't been a team picked. And I probably did that all through uh, my time with Dublin where, you know, I didn't, I didn't go blabbing if someone was, we were not supposed to say something, they just didn't say anything, you know. And well, you might've got a bit of flack at home and, it was a busy house, my house was. Uh, you know, I just said, I don't know, I didn't, there's no team picked, I didn't know Anthony. And then when the team was announced, they say, you must have known. I said, oh, well, I wasn't allowed to say Anthony. It was never a big deal made out, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, but it's obviously getting harder and harder to do that now. Like, I, I think <clears throat> with the amount of people that are in around the setup between players, backroom staff, like, things get out when they shouldn't get out. And I know uh, Jim McGuinness. Gave out to a few people for stuff that got out, and obviously some people have suffered from it. But it does become really tricky about holding on to something like that, especially when it's something like your debut. And I remember an incident where Kev McMenamin was told we knew he'd be starting, 
and uh, it wasn't it wasn't out in the papers. No one knew about it. But then the day of the game, people found out that Kev was going to be started, and we don't know how he got out of the camp. And I remember how hurt Kev was because he was he didn't tell anyone, didn't tell his parents. Like you know, when you want to tell your parents the first thing, obviously Bram was playing for Dublin, and that just caused a bit of an issue, uh, not a ma- massive issue, but the fact that someone would leak it where Kev had to keep it from his family and everything like that. I think that things like that are really hard and you have to be a certain kind of player to be able to hold on to stuff like that. Yeah, it, uh, I, you know, I, I get that situation, but it, it, you know, I didn't ever feel I owed it to tell anyone that what was going on. So uh, I always felt to be sitting in those meetings was, you know, a privilege. So if something was said, that's where it stayed, you know, because, uh, you know, for, if it was for the betterment of the team, well then fine, I was happy to take it on the chin when it came afterwards as such. But I can understand where something leaks out like that. There probably wasn't the same, um, maybe there wasn't the same coverage that goes with the current crop, you know. So everything is, is gold news now, I guess, with, with the current generation. You know, back in the early thousands, you know, there was other stories maybe going on whereby leaks like that maybe didn't, be happen, maybe didn't happen as often. But it certainly wasn't ever anything that bothered me and... I still talk to the folks at home, so they're obviously not too great. <laughs> That's because you need child minders. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when you when you were in that Tommy setup, the Tommy Carr setup now, I remember Kylie Moore and telling me about it, like going down to the Phoenix Park, having to get the bus down, and just the sheer dread. Like it wasn't dread in a way of he he wanted to be there. Everyone wants to play for Dublin, so you're going to do it. You're going to get through it. But looking back now, he's like, gee, how did I do that, that training that was put in front of you in the army barracks? It just sounded like the toughest. And is that the army background obviously coming through? Like, you know, just how tough was that for you? Or did, did you just, you were so happy to be there, you didn't care? I know, it was tough. No, the happiness, <laughs> the happiness leaves you fairly quickly. In fairness to, like in my time with um, Tommy Carr, there was probably a shift from the, you know, and I wasn't there in the first couple of Tommy, first couple of years of Tommy's reign, you know, from laps to uh, Tommy started to look at, um, I think Liam Hennessy is the, was the guy's name who was involved with Irish rugby at the time, where the training stopped being about laps around the field and suddenly became more focused on, you know, you needed to build power in particular areas to build your speed. So then let's do the work that builds that power and then let's work on the speed piece. So in, in, while there was, a, you know, certainly some dog sessions done in the Phoenix Park and up Battle Hill and, you know, Tommy had a great saying if he'd, he'd just shout with me and he'd take off on this gallop after, you know, he'd already done 5K and you were trying to keep up with him. But it, he started to move it into a more um, focused training around sprinting and developing your speed so that you could do your last sprint as well as you'd done your first sprint. So that, you know, 2000, 2001 period, for me personally, I was flying, and you touched off this a little bit earlier. It was top of the ground stuff, you know. I was this light kind of springer type guy who loved running. We were working on areas of your body that would allow you to be as powerful as you could be in sprints. So you were just, you know, churning out those runs and you were able to keep going all the time, you know. So, in fairness to Tommy Carr at that time, he brought in what were newish, I'd say, methods of training to try and help the team get to the next level. He was very unlucky in his management reign at that time. You know, there was a Leinster final, arguably left behind, where we were, you know, six points up at Kildare. In 2001, you know, we probably could have beaten Mead, albeit, you know, that, you know, Mead were a good, strong team at that time. So it was just unlucky that we didn't get over the line. You have the Kerry and the Morris Fitzgerald score, you know, whereby that doesn't go over all of a sudden, you yeah. know, it's a different, different picture and landscape. I know there's lots of if, buts and maybes, and that doesn't make everything perfect. So he had certainly moved where, you know, training had been at 
from what I can gather previously in, in Dublin setups, which maybe had been more, you know, heavy around those laps and big long sessions where it was much more focused around strength and speed and conditioning guys to, you know, what do you travel in a, in a Gaelic football game? You know, they're short, sharp bursts. You yeah. don't do, you know, 15, 3,000 metres around and around continuously. So it's a different type of speed you need as opposed to an endurance level, you know? Yeah, and I, I know exactly what you mean because I remember under Clarkey's training when you'd walk out of the Royal College of Surgeons pitches and you'd see the cones, you'd creep out, see what cones are laid out and you'd say, oh shit, no, it's long distance running and there's loads of cones and there's loads of running. Uh, but just, yeah, I suppose for, for when I was, I was talking to Collie and Shane, uh, you know, Collie was young and just wanted to be there and enjoy it. And I think Shane is in the, the same boat as you on this that you do it because you have to do it, but when you see it, you go, oh my God, what's ahead of me here? Yeah, uh, but th that didn't really seem to change under Tommy Lyons then. It was just, the, like Casey spoke about this, about running the letters. Yeah, and, and uh, Tommy did a lot of that stuff, you know, so he'd, he'd run a W, which was, you know, obviously the, the shape of a W. So he, he did enjoy some of the laps at times. He particularly liked bringing around uh, Leopardstown Racecourse after a championship match, you know, which he called... I think he phrased it as truth serum, which was to try and, you know, dog a fella after. They'd probably celebrate a bit too much on a Sunday evening or maybe a Monday evening. Uh, so, uh, you know, he certainly didn't shift hugely from where Tommy Carr had, had brought it. Certainly, uh, you know, the, the long distance laps and all that type of stuff was, was certainly gone during, at the time I had started coming through on it, you know. But there were probably two different styles of manager. You know, Tommy uh, Carr was obviously military, so it was... You know, all that background to it where Tommy Lyons had brought chemical croaks through and probably had a different uh, way of, of dealing with players that we say that Tommy Carr had, you know. So both obviously very effective in terms of what they were trying to do, but very different in terms of their styles. And, and the styles were different. There's obviously more players coming through then under in 2002. Uh, that hard training, and, and I know it was tough, and I know players really struggled with it, having talking to a few lads. You as captain, you know, what do you have to do to keep morale going in them situations where, where everyone... Finish, finish the laps. <laughs> <laughs> Just shout that, yeah. Look, you know, in fairness, in 2002, you think of the guys all around the place, you know, you know, Paul Curran, Jim, Desi, you know, Declan Darcy, you know, there was like, like just natural born leaders in that dressing room. So for, for Tommy Lyons coming in, maybe it was a case of, you know, putting a, a new face in terms of, you know, this is a, a newer generation of guys coming through. And you think of the likes of, you know, Barry Call and Alan Brogan and these new guys that were coming into the setup at that time, that he was maybe just trying to, you know, put more of his stamp on it rather than what had been there previously or whatever. So, you know, as captain, I wouldn't say it was much of a shout or a roar. It was more, you know, that, you know, I fitted what Tommy wanted in terms of maybe somebody who was new. There was a different way of, of Tommy trying to do things. And then there was a different group of young players that maybe he felt there was a connect there. So it was never a case of shouting at guys to get through it. You certainly, you know, helped out where you could and you were trying to lead by example. The greatest one of those is Stephen Cluxley. You know, he's, he was never a guy that I have ever encountered who shouted and roared. Now, he could give you an earful, don't get me wrong. But it wasn't so much about what he said. It was more how he carried himself and how he uh, trained, how he played, how he prepared. And if, if that's what you're setting your bar against, well, then, you know, the rest of the guys have something to live up to. So I know Stephen Cluxton, but certainly I wasn't one for shouting and banging tables in the dressing room. It was more trying to lead by example because you had guys who had tasted success before who were well able to talk in the dressing room and had, you know, far greater experience and knowledge of trying to help guys to, to achieve at that stage. Yeah, and, and I look at that team in 2002, I kind of... 
there was a lot of new people. Like obviously Ray uh, had an unbelievable year. Uh, John McNally was coming through really well. Like you know, there was new blood coming through. You spoke about Alan and Barry as well. It, there did seem to be a lot of leaders there as well. Not necessarily in the start in 15 as much, but in the whole squad, there seemed to be a lot of leaders that could get you over the line there. You still had a lot of characters to deal with as well. So, like, I just touched on them there, one of your club mates. What was it like to have John McNally in that, in, in that setup from Volunteer? Like, you know? Ah, uh, Johnny, like, you know, Johnny was great. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's, as you see him as such, there's no, you know, it's, it's just honesty from, you know, start to finish as such with him. So what he gives you on the football field is pure honesty and it's the same when you have him around the place. But he, he loves a good giggle, there's no doubt about it, you know. So to have, uh, you know, when you have someone from your own club involved, you've obviously got a, a natural, you know, connect there on a, on a field. So, you know, while you mightn't, you know, think it subconsciously, maybe you're looking for him on a pass or you're hoping that he's looking out for you on a pass or you might get on the end of some move that he's been involved in. And he'd been involved in the Dublin junior teams as well, you yeah. know, who's stalwart and has been for years with, with Ballantyre. Uh, so he was a great guy, you know, to play with. So even for him to, you know, if you look at, at Dublin in 2002 and, you know, you talk about the, the guys who had great seasons and Ray and Alan coming through and that, you know, if you look at, you know, maybe what, um, what captured Dublin in their essence at that time was the work rate Johnny McNally delivered across the full forward line. No fella passed out by him without getting at least 10 belts. Now, whether they were legal or not, I'm not quite sure. But he was just relentless and ferocious in his tackling. And it was from that that, you know, this intensity grew in the forwards. It meant it was dead handy for us fellas in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally. But, yeah, but that's where that, you know, intensity. He just led by example in terms of the intensity he had. You know, so for him to have the success he had, it was a pity he wasn't around longer into the panel. He was certainly good enough to, to have... Uh, been around a little bit more, but you know, just you know, injuries and other things probably got the better of him at that time. Uh, and you know, when sometimes you fall out of of, um, of the setup like that, it's very hard to get back in again when you've carried a knock or an injury that you just can't get, yeah. you just can't shake, you know. But how, how did you find being able to go between both? So to be that leader and to kind of, as you said, lead by example and put the right foot forward in, in all the training that you were doing and in matches. Uh, and then to still have the crack in the eagles with the lads. Did you find that tough or was that just something that's naturally you? Like, you know, it's just your persona as a person. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was as crack orientated in the first couple of years. It was probably a little <laughs> bit more sheepish, you know. It was only when you're, you're kind of get your seat in the dressing room that you start to then, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe have a go off, guys. And look, my, my nature is, is, you know, quite lighthearted anyway. So, uh I'd never set out to, to offend anyone, but, you know, I'd always be looking to see if there was an angle to crack an old gag if there was one going or whatever, you know. Sometimes that went down well, other times less so, but I guess you have to judge your audience and judge the time for those type of things, you know. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a time for being serious and, and then there's a time for maybe having a laugh. Uh, I tried the old earphones in the, you know, going into matches and that kind of stuff, but I'd much sooner be talking, so I just needed to find someone that I could talk to and maybe release some of that energy whereas if we put in earphones and, and try to you know focus the mind a little bit that probably would have cost me more than I would have gained from it so I was just it was just my personality to bounce off guys and that gave me a bit of a lift as opposed to zoning in if that makes sense so yeah like going in on match day then and we see it now with the big headphones and, and again I'm guilty of that uh, and it kind of towards now even with the club level I don't like having them around as much. Like, you know, I like talking to players and having a bit more of, of a crack than being just so isolated, focused and, and trying to think of everything. And I see players now as well when they're in the dressing room, they're 
they're just in the corner, self-focused, so diligent. Did you find that the layer, the like as your career progressed, that your approach to games changed? Like where you just so like you had so much going on, so much excitement about it, but then the more you're around the setup, the more you're playing these games. Now you're a captain. Does your approach change? You just start easing and things become a bit more, I wouldn't say lax, but a bit more comfortable when you're in the surroundings. Yeah, and, and like everyone prepares differently, I guess, you know, so whether it's earphones or chatting or whatever it is, you know, it does, everyone has a different way of trying to get their, their, you know, their head together for what's coming. So did it change? Not overly so. Like, you know, if I think back to playing with Volunteer, when we were playing championship matches, you know, some of us had designated cars we travel in and, you know, I travel with a guy, Eamon Lawler, we used to listen to the radio and be, be joking and crack going across the games, championship matches. There was no buses or that. You wouldn't travel together or any of that kind of stuff. So yeah, that, that probably then was me when I was going into any other kind of setup. That was just what I thought was the normal way of things, operating or whatever, you know. But then you have to realise that some people just don't want to be spoken to on match days and you've, you've got to stay away from those people and other people get quite apprehensive, so they don't want you to be seen to be laughing because then there's maybe an assumption that this guy's not taking that, you know, serious. So it changed in that you maybe modified yourself to know what was happening in front of you to be aware of who you needed to be, who you could have a laugh with, and who you should just stay away from. But you know, I, I think you need to be at peace yourself around what way you're prepping for games because if you're trying to please everyone else, you're ultimately going to impact on your own game. As I said earlier, I guess where I probably struggle a bit later into career, it was not so much the prepping for games, it was more about um, you know, questioning. I, I started maybe to analyse more of the stuff and what could potentially happen in games. And I don't mean visualisation, I mean, you know, seeing scenarios playing out in the worst possible case, which then starts you to get a little bit more apprehensive. So rather than playing free-flowing football, you start to become a little bit edgier on the ball as such, you know. So if there was one area I'd love to have, you know, probably focus on a little bit more and doing more work. It was probably that mental understanding of, you know, push away the bad thoughts and think of the more positive ways of preparing so that you didn't suddenly find yourself being a little bit more cautious on the ball that you were still playing the way you had when you originally came into the panel. And I'd say the couple of years under Tommy Lyons where I maybe wasn't getting as much game time was more as a result of me. Uh, I don't call it self-doubt because, you know, I was still part of a panel, so I obviously knew what I was trying to achieve. But certainly I wasn't playing with the freedom that I had come in with. So did my preparation change and how I built the matches? I wouldn't say the preparation changed, but certainly my thought process became more heavy around what was going on in matches that then in a, uh, had a, uh, an impact on me in terms of how I was impacting games and meant I didn't get as much game time in those couple of years. Did, did you ever see a sports psychologist about any of that? Was it, were they around back then? Yeah, there was, you know, we had some people come in and talk to us, in fairness, uh, at different stages. Uh, Tommy Carr would have got, had a guy in, Neil O'Brien, who was excellent. But, you know, different managers had different views around, you know, how that stuff worked. Uh, and you probably didn't realise at the time that maybe standing up and talking about that and sports psychology maybe wasn't as, as uh, popular then as it is now as such. And, and that's not, you know, that I was looking to do the popular thing by any means. But it probably just wasn't something I, I, someone said to me, did you ever think of? And then I didn't think of it. So there was probably a couple of years where you, you, were, you were, you know, had that element of, you know, I'm holding back here, there's something not right, you know. So I was then trying to, under pillar in fairness to the management team, he, they, they helped rediscover that and they then I got back into the team again for a couple of years again after that. So it's as much to maybe do with me, how I was, you know, seeing the world at that time as opposed to maybe, you know, sports psychologists or whatever helping me out, I guess, a little bit, you know. I, I, I find that really interesting because I remember... Uh, 
when I, I actually went to see Enda McNulty and uh, I was kind of falling out of favour with the game. I just wasn't getting, I was getting injured too much and I wasn't playing to the level I was hoping to play at. And I just met with him in the off chance. I mean, we actually ended up having a follow-up session. We spoke about Brian O'Driscoll. He said Brian went through a similar thing where he just fell out of favour with the game. There was loads of stuff being printed about him that uh, kind of took his attention away from the game. And all he did, he said, he just sat down with him and got him to watch YouTube videos of all the unbelievable things he's done. Uh, now, I wasn't on Tim wearing a YouTube clip, so I uh, had to get on to uh, And YouTube, YouTube wasn't around when I was playing. <laughs> and in fairness, Glenn Rowe was already taped on that, so yet, what could you do? <laughs> Your greatest day in Dublin was taped over by Blind Ace or Glenn Rowe or something. Yeah, so I just picked a, a slideshow for your one. Uh, <laughs> But it was amazing. It was actually like what it is, it's retraining your brain to know that that's still in you, that's still there. It's just about unlocking that potential. And I kind of, towards a lot of stages of my years with Dublin, I would have done a lot of work with that because I know uh, you'll see it now with players, some players buy into sports psychology, and I'm sure you, you, you'll know this when you're doing your analysis for your punditry work, that you can see it in the backroom staff. You need to look at the backroom staff in, in most county teams is bigger than the panel these days. Mm. It's just the amount of people that have, uh, the amount of people they have for support around you. Like in, when you look back, do you think if you had the same kind of panel that's available to the current Dublin team, that it would have extended your career or you would have had a different style just with the amount of support that they have? It probably would have helped in those in the you know the, the probably second third year of Tommy Lyons's reign in that uh, if you'd probably spoken to someone they probably would have reframed exactly as you said you know the good stuff that you do you know under Pillar it, it probably got to a stage where you know I was coming to thirty uh, I, I had fallen you know when I say fallen out of favour you know there was other guys who come in you know who were playing well and were, were deserving of places on the team and it probably got to a point where. You know, having played and having experienced the highs of playing, it then becomes very difficult when you're not getting game time to, to sit and watch. So unless there's some hope that you're going to get game time, it's very hard to, to well, certainly very hard for me to, to stay around when I didn't feel that that opportunity was going to come. So when I left the setup in early 2008, having spoken to, to Pillar, it was just probably an understanding that time, look, you'll certainly compete for a position, but this guy's a heady in the pecking order. And it wasn't that... Uh, I didn't feel you could challenge those positions. It just felt that, you know, maybe the challenge was going to be more for me to, to keep going and that it might be better just to, to step away rather than be on the sideline getting, you know, annoyed that you weren't getting game time, having struggled to get a bit of game time through 2007. So I couldn't see this massive shift coming in 2008 that I was going to suddenly get more game time. So would it have extended the career? Maybe, maybe not, but, you know, I don't look back and think if only I'd done that, I could have hung around Dublin for another couple of years. It got to a point where it was probably an end point for me. And I said, look, I'm happy enough to, to call it here. Shook hands with, with Pillar. And that was kind of the end of my time. That was it. You did well to hide that frustration. Whatever frustration you felt about not playing and, and not being where you wanted to be in regards to the pecking order. Around the setup, my experience of you was always, was always jovial. And I remember that Klucko, Lally did something stupid. I don't know what he did. I can't remember now. But he only, did... only one thing. <laughs> and Klucko, uh, <laughs> like, goes, oh my God, where's Gogsy? Where's Sen? And I was just like, 
that was my that's my uh, experience of having you guys around was that whatever frustration you had you didn't show you always came to train and jovial good crack and bouncing off lads and encouraging lads and bringing lads along it was it tough trying to hide that frustration yeah, look, when I say frustration, you, you obviously always feel that you're, you're pushing the right direction and that you're going to get a, a shot at it, you know? So, uh, like, you know, you're frustrated initially and the whole world is against you and, you, you, you know, that's it, I'm fed up, you know, everyone's wrong, I'm right, you know? But, you know, when you look at it then, you know, there's, you know, five or six selectors or whatever, there's a team of guys there as well. So there must be something not right that you're not getting into the team and be it, you know, skills be it ability be it uh, something that's gone wrong previously whatever, whatever the reason is you know you can carry that with you and it'll impact in what you do with training or you can try and you know rise above it and you know I, ultimately what i was trying to achieve was winning all ireland with dublin and me being the sour head going around the place was going to impact on the rest of the group so you know while it was hard you were getting out you were playing with you know the top footballers in dublin at the time there was an opportunity to get a dublin jersey in crow park there was an opportunity to get game time in Crow park so all the stuff hadn't change from what you initially set out what you wanted to do at the start in 2000 it was just that you were unfortunately on the bench rather than on the playing field but I still felt at that time I could make a difference if given the opportunity I, you know in 2007 I didn't get a huge amount of game time so it made the decision heading into 2008 that little bit easier but I would have gone back in 2008 and been the same jovial person around the dressing room because the aim was for the team to be successful it wasn't about me being you know top dog I'd have loved to have played more games absolutely but it was about, you know, what could I bring to the team, to the group, to allow us to win something. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get over the line in terms of all Ireland's. But the success we had with the Leinsters at the time, when Leinsters were hard won, and that's not being disrespectful to the Leinsters that have been won in the last 10 years. You know, there was real sense of achievement in those Leinster titles and a real party that followed after them. So, you know, the enjoyment for me was all of that stuff that went with it. You know, could you have got more out of your playing time? Yeah, it would have been great to have played more in 2007 and maybe hung around for 2008. But look, that's the way my, my cards fell and everyone doesn't get the big send-off at the end of their career, you know. So mine ended and I was happy to move on and I got back to the club playing again. So, you know, I, I had a good innings. I'd never give out about it, you know. Yeah, and when I look at send-offs, I always think of Alan just got the, the best dream scenario ever. And I don't, I don't know anyone else who's been able to kind of step away from inter-county football the way he did. But, uh, I, I like, when you when you... We're thinking about the decision in 2007 throughout the season. Was that in the back of your head that, like, coming into that game against Mayo, were you thinking, like, this is it, I'm, I'm going at this hammer and tongue now, this is my last hurrah? Had you made that decision, or was it when you stepped away in the winter, you just said, oh, my heart's not in this the way it is? I had played in six, which I think was probably Mayo. Seven might have been. Oh, sorry, seven. sorry, yeah. I'm just trying to think. Um, no, I hadn't, no, I hadn't made any decision, you know, like. When you're not getting game time, you'll always have the hurler on the ditch saying, oh, you know, you're good enough, you should, you know, walk away and that. But, you know, that's, that's never on the cards, you know. You know, I made a commitment to be involved with the Dublin team for whatever, that year in particular. So it was never a thought process of once this is the last game, I'm out the gap here, you know. But when, when it finishes and, you know, you have discussions afterwards with players, with management, and you get a, you know, this, you, know you have an innate uh, ability to get a read of people and where you think you sit, I just didn't get a, a sense that, you know, I was, I was 1 to 15 initially in their thought process. And having gone through to 2007, and there's a huge commitment you touched off. Uh, recently, I'd gotten married, you know, so we were newly married. There's a huge commitment to it. So, you know, do you go back for another commitment where you feel maybe what 
you're, you've strive to get you're not rewarded with in terms of game time so at the end of 2007 I didn't hang it up by any means I got into 2008 considered it had a few chats with some of the guys talked to Paul as well and then just decided look I'm not sure I'm I'm, I'm willing to go back into this given that I, I can't see a route of, of getting game time at the level I'd like to be at you know so uh, it would have been great to get a send off and a big fanfare but as you rightly said it just doesn't fall that way for most people in, in a top level sport in any walk you know mm-hmm. Like I know how hard that, like in a weird way, at least you got to leave on your own terms. Like you know, you got to call it. It was you. It was yeah. your decision. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you made that decision on a, on a January driving into Royal College of Surgeons and then seeing what was ahead of you and just reverse back and then made a decision then or, or what. But I, I know. I actually I read this and I don't know if it's true or not that you were looking to try and get into journalism before your inter-county career is that correct sports journalism yeah i had um i did a postgraduate in journalism in griffith college in whatever 99 i'd say it was so i had um kind of hooked up with the i've been doing some stuff with the evening herald um i'd started out doing some of the club ga reports you know probably came across you with some underage game where i Probably spelt your name wrong. Every man would give out you for that. No fun over to you. Yeah, exactly. Giving you a six when you thought you deserved an eight, you know. So, <laughs> Writing in the club notes. Exactly. So, you know, I started off doing a little bit of that and then moved into some of the more mainstream type reporting. But then the knock came about uh, getting involved with, with Dublin. And then when you were starting to get into the Dublin setup, it was hard then to be, you know, trying to report on, on GA bits or whatever you know so I ended up doing a bit of teaching for a while it was one of those hopping between jobs you know ended up doing a bit of a teaching for a while and then uh, took up a job with you know AIB Arc Life is the life insurance company at the time but with AIB in 2002 or thereabouts and I've been there ever since you know so they've you know in my playing career were a great supporter in terms of work and work sport balance I guess uh, but yeah journalism is still a passion there I would have obviously written a good bit um, some columns back in the time with uh when I had finished up, I don't don't write them anymore. Um, but it was it was a great. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I obviously got the gate there. We won't go there. Uh, <laughs> no, but I used to enjoy doing that because you still have an interest in the game. So if you're asked then to give your opinion on it, you know there's a value in that that someone has seen that you have a good read of the game. So I'd like to think while you might be doing you know journalism piece that you know I'm watching a game, you have a good read of it. So if it was hopefully to get back involved in coaching or management and with an under. Tens team in Donabate, where I am now. You have a good read of the game and a good read of players that you might be of some way beneficial to some management setup as you maybe move in down the road a little bit and have time to get involved. Is that would you be thinking of management? Like you, you have like your coach and development squads now as well, or you've been in around development squads uh, over the last few years, have you? Yeah, uh, a good few years ago now, we got involved with a development squad. Uh, God, I don't know how many years ago it is this stage Kieran Whelan was probably the lead manager on it and we got involved um, but good while out of that in fairness time of my you know like with family and that it just didn't suit time wise because actually the commitment grows in those development squads yeah, as it moves yeah. out the older years or whatever so I just knew I wouldn't have a commitment or a time to get through it at you know inter minor championships so I said I better step away before that time or whatever so I, I'm probably out of it that must be six years or so or more or whatever. So I haven't been involved. Um, She's really showing her age now. Yeah, I'm old. I'm old. No <laughs> doubt about it. 
Yeah, COVID's an age even more now with animals. Yeah. But look, I'm, I'm involved as I said, with the under tens in, in Pats there and Scrape, you know, because you're you're you know able to get involved at a level where you're still you know it hasn't got too technical and you're not asking to do a huge amount. It's just very much about go out and play and enjoy yourself and you know try this with your right foot or your left foot. So that's really enjoyable at the minute around it, you know. So you know management requires a huge amount of time, much more so than playing. So you want to make the right decision when you're moving into it, you know. Well, I'm delighted to hear that the under-10s aren't adopting mass defences and systems and everything like that. And the fun element is still there because it's, it's still... Now you can have fun doing mass defences. <laughs> As the defender. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you, your kind of love for journalism is still there now because you're still doing, obviously, a bit of punditry work uh, with Tina G. How are you finding that? Ah, look, TG Carr have been, have been great for me and, and both when I was playing and when I finished up. Um, I'm sure, you know, the people in the Guelphic areas of the country go, oh my God. Particularly Every second word, just throw out an, an Irish word, yeah. Particularly when you're on with uh, someone like Tommaso Flarda, who's beautiful Irish, you know. And uh, look, I, the games, the live games and that stuff on the sideline is brilliant because you're, you're right at the cut of it. You're getting into matches, you're getting to give your opinion on something that's happening there in front of everyone, particularly the co-commentaries. Uh, so, you know, the matches with, you know, league games, you know, underage games, the amount of coverage that they do is phenomenal. So to get the opportunity to be on the sideline is great. And if there's an opportunity then to do a bit of writing around that, you know, that's you know, where a passion lies around uh, journalism and writing and that kind of stuff. So you're still getting to, you know, scratch an itch for once a bit away. Of, uh, yeah, I was actually just about to say that. that. Because even with AIB sponsoring the club championship as well, and I know you're involved in that with different things as well, like you're probably really involved in the GEA now more than ever in terms of you have so much going on between the club stuff, the TG Carra stuff, even Don, Pat to Donna Bate, like, you know, the club stuff that's going on. You're probably around them now more than ever, I'd say. Yeah, and you know, I went into a, a role in AIB a couple of years ago that very much connected with the sponsorship, um, with the sponsorship piece. You know, so to be involved at that level and to see some of the work that they were doing on the sponsorship and, and the GA Club Championship and the County Championship stuff was brilliant. You know, so you were literally you know working in a role that was tied into GA without it being actually a GA role as such. So you were still working in the in the banking industry. So it was great from that respect. And, and internally then, you know, from an AIB point of view, you had the outside GA knowledge, which you were able to bring in-house as well. Yeah. So, you know, it worked both ways around it, I guess. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to, to land into that, you know, position as such as it was at the time. But look, you know, GA is, I think, is one of those things that's in your, your blood. I was brought up on Roscommon football. My dad is Roscommon. My mum is, you know, Roscommon. So, you know, I was brought up on... Harry Keegan's and Enon Gavin's and Dermot Earley's and Tony McManus's and these guys. We would have gone down to Roscommon's for summers and Hyde Park would have been your den at the back of the goal, the graveyard den, because that's where the hard fellas were. You know, <laughs> that, that, That's where you hung out, you know, and you, you were watching these kind of championship matches with you know, real legends of the game at that time. So you got a great passion from those type of matches. So, you know, while you know, Roscommon heritage is in the background, it was always my ambition to play for Dublin being born and, and raised here or whatever, you know. But, you know, that, that whole GA passion just fuels you through your, your life. And it's, I think it's just something that's in the system, so it's hard to shake it. Yeah. No, like, especially when you're you're spending weekends down, because I know you're doing a lot of work now with, with the punditry stuff. As a player, we all have places that we don't like to go and play in. Uh, and Ockram is one of them for me. Being a pundit, 
is there anywhere that you just hate going? You're just like, oh, don't want to do this one now. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Name and shame the place. The gantry in Port Leash and O'Connor Park in Tullamore, like they, on, on winter's day, they could be the colder place in the world. But one of the coldest, uh, one of the coldest outposts has to be level seven in Crow Park on a, on a cold day because the sunlight isn't come anywhere near you. If there's a breeze at all, it whips around. So when you're sat out there on, if you're on, you know, up on the seven and you're, you're doing a co-com or whatever, it can be absolutely Baltic up there, you know, sure on the media can. level. I'm sure you can still and, get a, a cappuccino. Pardon? I'm, still, I'm sure you can still get a cappuccino up there, unlike Hyde Park or somewhere like uh, that. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> cappuccinos are better in the Hyde, and you get a free spoon with your ice cream tub as well, which is unbelievable stuff. The, uh, uh, the side of the pitch, even Crow Park, the side of the pitch can be very cold, particularly on, on uh, St. Patrick's Day when the finals are on. Club finals, you know, I think if you look back through history, have probably been the coldest day of the year for every year, as far as I can remember, you know, particularly when you're working with TG Carr. You must enjoy it, though. Like, do you enjoy, like, I, I know coming out for a few club games now, I've seen you on the side of the pitch. Do, do you ever want to slay a player that you played with before and just kind of hold back? Or have you ever just kind of, are you just yourself? Like, you know, I know at times you kind of have to, like in regards to GAA, everyone knows one another. You're kind of very close with a lot of lads that are still playing, especially around the club scene. Have you ever found yourself just going, I want to really tear into him now? Just that was the most stupidest thing I've ever seen, or are you just a bit peaceful? Uh, look, I, I, you know, I've never set out to, to do that. I'm sure I've offended people and stuff I've written or said, you know. So, uh, you know, it's never an intention that you're looking to run a fella down because everybody out there playing is trying to do their best. And some days it works, some days it doesn't, you know. And, uh, you know, why a guy may or may not be on a team for a given day or whatever. You know, it's not for me to, to criticise that. But, you know, I'm sure having said that, I've said stuff before that have offended something or I've written pieces in the paper or maybe somebody hasn't been, you know, overly enamoured by it. Um, you know, it, it's hard, absolutely, because GA is a small circle, particularly, you know, if you're talking within Dublin. You know, you're going to bump into the guys, you know, so if you're, if you're writing about it, ultimately it's going to be seen and spotted and someone will pick up on it, so it's going to have an impact. But the flip side of that is, you know, if you're being asked to give your opinion, well, then you have to give an opinion and, and hope within that that what you're saying is not a direct criticism, but is, is a, an overview of what's happened in the game and how you know, individuals named, if they are named, might have been involved in you know, why that happened or why that it wasn't good or, was, or was, you know, was bad or whatever. But certainly from, you know, as I've gotten maybe a bit wiser with age and the, you know, on the punditry side of things, you certainly give more benefit to the doubt around what guys are trying to achieve you maybe be more critical of why have they played a particular way or why the system has set up that way. You know, particularly when you see teams going defensive when they need scores and you're trying to you're scratching your head going, I don't get it, you need to come out and play a bit. Yeah. But you know, that that's that's not being being critical of any individual. It's more trying to give your view of what's happening in front of you. So I look, I never set out to be to criticize anyone because as I said, everyone's trying to do their best, but you know, I'm I'm quite sure that there's people who would have a good cut off if they got a chance, you know. Well, God help the person that ever criticised you because I remember uh, when we had the Venga bus and we were trying to kidnap you out of your gaff <laughs> and your mum came out and I was trying to put your leg, I don't know what we were trying to do, get you out and she started stabbing me with a toothpick and like really hard and then like into the back of my neck and I was like, oh, never mess with that man and his family anyway. 
I think uh, I think she was fairly loose with a tea towel that night as well, you know. Yeah, she was swimming about. She broke it. Uh, I remember that, you know, that when you talk about the, the Wenger bus, you know, that the guy had gone around the bus after, I think it was the Leinster semi-final or something, you know. Uh, they had been golfing and they were picking up guys on the road. So I thought, I, you know, I was clear because I got fairly late and there had been some rumblings through a few text messages that might be on the hit list. So I had gone up to bed thinking, you know, nothing's going to happen here, you know. And next thing, all hell broke loose and there was fellas in the stairs and it was, you know, a bus and out you go and that was it, you know. And, and probably the... The funniest thing anyone remembers is not whether I got on the bus or I didn't get on the bus. It's, you know, Lasso and Goggins there whipping guys are... I didn't realise she had the L2 pick there. Yeah, that's she, an extra level. Like, that's a notch up. You can see the stuff we had to deal with growing up as kids in Volunteer. We had a hard <laughs> up Yeah, I know. I was, I was delighted you hadn't got the wooden spoon on. I was just a toothpick. Uh, yeah, but then, then I suppose, no matter what, like, you always look back on the games themselves, but the journey along the way is always the kind of the special moments that you really look back on fondly and no better memory than the Venga bus to, to reminisce about, I suppose. Uh, and that's a different episode. We'll do a group chat for that one one of the days. Yeah, that'd be a good one. <laughs> I have uh, look, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're boiling it all down, Eamon, it comes down to the people you meet across, you know, club and county. Uh, success is great, you know, uh, you know, representing Dublin is great, but when you, when you boil it all down, it's like, you know, you, you pass a guy who's you play football against or with, you, you know, you say hello, you might not have got on particularly well in the county setup, you might have bet the head off each other in club games, but there's a, there's a respect there that just comes out of being involved and playing, you know, top-level football and top-level sport. So when you, when you boil it all down, you know, you don't ever say, do you remember, you know, the final score in that Leinster final game? Because the fellas don't. But if you said, do you remember the night we went to whatever, most fellas will probably go, ah, that was a great night, or we did whatever that night, you know, or we did two days of that. And they're, they're the fond memories you take out of the whole thing. And I'd be still, you know, fairly close with a good lot of the guys from that Naughty's team and stay in touch with them. It's probably, well, we might have won in All-Ireland. It's probably a, a, a good idea maybe to hook up with those guys, you know, for, you know, just reminiscing about old times. Because what you soldier together when you talk about the barracks and the Phoenix Park and all that stuff, there's a great bond there that doesn't leave you. So, you know, sitting down with those guys and having a drink would be great to do at some point again into the future. Oh, absolutely, and I think for me, having this platform to be able to do this is uh, it's amazing because it is nice to actually look back and have this conversation. But even when I started jotting down notes and do the research into these shows, like you know, and you kind of you, when we get into that environment of talking, you nearly go back into just having the crack and thinking in your bar. But when I look back on your career and other lads that I've interviewed career. A lot of people have soldiered a lot of hard yards and been on a lot of great teams and probably haven't got to the promised land that we would have hoped that everyone would have got to. But when you look back at it as a collective and the different players that have come, the different managers that have come, the different setups have come, you've, you've highlighted there for me is that no one ever sets out to do the wrong thing. Everyone's in this together. And then bonds that you build in the army barracks or the Royal College of Surgeons become like, lifelong moments that you just can't you can't forget like you know yeah and that's that, look that's what you know that the, the memories are all about when you, you look back on it you know like you can have you know vhs's and dvds and all that stuff but they don't ever get taken out you know i couldn't tell you the last time i sat down to watch a game like that you know I you're know three kids goal. you're not getting time to do anything correct i know <laughs> an ireland goal is on there i got a text saying dublin armagh 2002 God, i couldn't put that on you know it's it's struggle to watch those type of games you know uh so, you know, you're, you're happy enough to know it happened in the background, maybe, but watching it again, it was hard enough living it, never mind watching it again. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I have two questions to finish up with now. Uh, 
the second last one is best player you've ever played with? God, that's a good question. Um, so there's, there's a good few, obviously, guys that have come through. Um, you know, one of the one of the guys that stands out just because you know he was a guy you watched first, and then you got to play with him was Paul Kerr, and he was exceptional. You know, um, he, I maybe didn't get to play with him as long as you know his career was. I came in at the, the back end of it, but he certainly be one of the guys that stood out. Is just um, I'd almost call him Mr. Consistency. You rarely ever seen Paul Kerr play a bad game or be involved in a bad game, club or county. You know. And he, he was a great guy to have around the place. He was, you know, he was good crack, but he was serious when it came down to his football and he always, you know, delivered on, on the football field. And while I maybe only got the tail end of, you know, Paul's career, you know, in terms of a footballer to be on the same football field, but like he was a, he was a serious operator. And as a wing back and a guy, as a defender, you were... Uh, did that drop off there? Sorry. No, you're already going, yeah. yeah. Sorry. As a, as a defender that... Um, you're looking for, you know, guys that you could aspire to try and emulate and not that I got anywhere near him, but Paul Kern is a guy who just jumps off the page as one of the best fellows I ever talked about, certainly. Yeah, he's actually, a few people have mentioned him uh, as regards players that have looked up for that got, like, why he wanted to get involved in GEA with other lads that have played with him and had been lucky enough to play with him, say, just exactly what you said there, consistency was just unbelievable. Uh, last question. On the current Dublin team, which player would you wish you could play with? Only one. <laughs> would, yeah. would 14 of those fellas not want just to play with me, no? Just to play with you, yeah. No, they've all <laughs> said that. Well, on the current Dublin setup, uh, there's so many guys, you know. Look, defensively, like Jack McCaffrey is just you know, a phenomenal operator. Uh, and James McCarthy is probably... I've been fortunate enough to see James represent the bank a couple of times, you know. Uh, and James doesn't know how to, you know, to take things easy. Like when he's in, he's in, and that's it, you know. So uh, while there's massive talent across the, the team, there, you know, it's just a guy probably, you know, is following in the mold of, you know, a Paul Curran, consistency personified, and just knows, you know, he's an exceptional footballer, exceptional guy, actually. Uh, if I could, you know, tug out, you know, half back line with maybe James McCarthy himself and maybe one other, I wouldn't mind, wouldn't mind having a shot at it, you know. Yeah, and I, like the one thing I like about James is there's, there's no bullshit, you know, whatever role he's asked to do, he does it and he does it well. You know, as you said, consistency again over the last few years. I don't know if there's any player around Ireland that's put in the level of games that he has. It's just it's a joy to watch some days just to see him go. And, yeah. He, um, I don't know if he ever did athletics. I've never asked him, you know. I don't know if he ever did athletics as a young fellow or whatever, you know. But when he takes off, you know, his his, um, his running style, like he could definitely have represented Ireland in an Olympics, I reckon, because he just glides across the, 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 the yeah. surface, you know. So when you're watching him running, you think, God, this is gazelle stuff, you know. He, he can really shift. So it doesn't ever look like he's, he's busting his chops to do what he's doing. But he just glides across the floor. It's uh, yeah, he's an exceptional athlete. He really is. Yeah, I remember that one training session we were doing. Mickey had us running. He just kept flogging us and flogging us. We're just running, and he was barking at James to say, like, you know, will you put it in? Put the effort in. And James was—he was still winning sprints. He was just—it was effortless. Like he was just gliding along, and we were slobs like a bulldog. Drew coming out of the side, <laughs> and uh, anyway, Mickey, uh, Mickey just. <laughs> Like kept going at James pushing me even harder 
And James was like red faced. You could see he was putting in the work. He was just it just looked so easy to him. And then I was running back, heavy breathing, and Mickey just said to me, Why don't you run like him? <laughs> so, <laughs> it was just Mickey's way of just kind of kicking James to try and get more out of him and, and trying to infuriate him to push him on. But yeah, yeah James James's record speaks for itself, you know, like outfield and what he's delivered over the last number of years. Is, you know, his consistency is, is exceptional. So, yeah, if I could slot into a half-back line with him, I'd, I'd fancy a cut off it, you know. Yeah, him and Corner, they're your ideal half-back line. I'd be the housewife's <laughs> favourite there at number six. I'd let the lads do the running, I'd do the holding. The holding one, yeah. But <laughs> uh, well, look, Godsy, I really appreciate you giving, giving me your time. I'm sure he was glad to get a break from the kids, even though they're hopefully asleep by now. But, uh, like, you... Always enjoy reminiscing. As I said, my, my memories of you are always one of real positive attitude, bringing lads along, having the crack, and and whatever shit that was going on outside of football never carried into the dressing room. And I think that speaks volumes of your character. And when we touched upon there, what management saw in you at that age, like, you know, why they gave you a chance. I think it is that sheer character you have and being able to relate to everyone in the dressing room. And look, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. but. Uh, we definitely went over time, so I apologise to everyone on that. But again, it was, it was just quite a catch up.